Welcome to the Runner's World Show, where each week we entertain you, inspire you, and inform you about all things running. I'm David Willey, Editor-in-Chief of Runner's World, and this week in The Kick, we recap this past weekend's Chicago Marathon, and we take you behind the scenes of our latest issue. That would be the November issue, which is our 50th anniversary issue. It's loaded with stories that explore how our sport has changed over the decades. And it also profiles some of the biggest change makers in running today. In fact, two of those change makers are on our cover, or I should say covers plural, two special anniversary themed throwback covers. Then we explain just why mortal runners, which is to say non-elites, those of us who will forever be deep in the mid-pack, might consider getting a coach. But first, a companion piece to Bright Eyes, the latest episode from our sibling podcast, Human Race. It's about a blind man who learns to run. Here we take a deeper look into how running and racing with a guide actually works and reveal a few of its unexpected challenges. I remember we were running some race, like we're running this race and like Kate's trying to clear the way and she, she tells this woman like, excuse me, excuse me, blind runner coming through. A bit more forceful yeah, this yeah, time. I've yeah. learned my lesson. And the I'm woman got so now. upset was like, she did. She was like, I'm not moving. You like she said, I'm not, I'm not like, whatever. And Kate was like, I said, excuse me, is a blind runner coming through? And the woman looked back and was like, Oh my god, I'm so sorry. I feel like an ass. And I was like, Yeah, you are an ass lady. No, you so didn't need to do that. <laughs> I wasn't joking though. Like, she, she laughed at it. She laughed about it. She's like, Okay, I deserved it. I deserved it. And she ran with us for a little bit. Like, Okay, I deserve that. I deserve that. Thanks for joining us. Anthony Butler lost his eyesight eight years ago when he was shot in the face in New York City. After finally getting out of the hospital, he was homeless for a period of time, but then he went back to school and eventually he started running as a way to find a new community and get his life back on track. And in just a few weeks, Anthony will be running his first ever marathon in New York with his running partner, Kate Dixon. This week, our storytelling podcast, Human Race, tells Anthony's incredible story in detail. The episode, called Bright Eyes, reveals how losing his sight actually gave Anthony a bigger life and gave him a sense of freedom that he didn't have before. This is due in large part to running and also the very special bond that he formed with Kate. It's such a great story, and we got so much great tape when we were reporting it that we wanted to run a bonus segment here in the Runner's World show. In this piece, producer Mervyn Deganios went out for a run with Kate and Anthony. He wanted to learn more about how two people navigate the very intricate and intimate act of running as one. Ready, Anthony? Okay, let's go. Here we go. I'm in Central Park on a beautiful fall day running beside Kate Dixon and Anthony Butler. Kate and Anthony first met a year and a half ago through Achilles International. That's an organization that helps people with disabilities participate in all kinds of different athletic events. The group pairs them with people they can train and race with. When Kate and Anthony met, neither were consistent, dedicated runners, and Kate had never been a guide. But now, 18 months later, they've completed many races together, including several half marathons. And they've got a pretty darn good PR of 2 hours, 6 minutes, and 53 seconds. So when you run a half marathon with an athlete who's blind, um, you normally have at least two guides. 
you need one to clear the path because as a rule you're a wider load coming through you know you don't have the same nimbleness mm -hmm. um, and you have one who's guiding and so you know so at the, at the beginning i think mary was guiding you mm -hmm. and i was running ahead so i'm being perfectly british and like excuse me excuse me you know blind runner coming through excuse me excuse me you know excuse me ever so sorry and of course everyone's got bloody headphones in so you're having to like tap them on the shoulder and they're giving you grief and anyway i'm kind of carving the path and then Anthony just gives up I'm like sod this for all the tea and crumpets blind man coming through and like the seas part like, everyone's like like we've got a clear path for the next mile i swear we did and i'm just like right clearly i need to be a bit more ballsy in this whole clearing the pathway Oh, man. I've never lived down that line. No, that's, it's still that's, one of our classics. Yeah, that's the greatest moment. That's the greatest race moment ever. That is. I said, bloop, the, the tear crumpets. Blind men coming through. <laughs> blind men coming through. And everybody was just moving out the way, but I'm yelling, like, blind men coming through. <laughs> and we're flying just right through the crowd. It was awesome. People was like cheering us, so like, yeah, go, blind man. Go, yeah, go Achilles. It was awesome. It was awesome. Okay, we're going to move slightly to your left. Perfect. I watch Kate guide Anthony using a tether. That's a common and very effective technique used for guiding blind runners. A tether is usually a length of fabric that's about 15 inches long. And really, it can be anything. One of Anthony's favorite tethers is Kate's work lanyard. Once, he kind of stole it from Kate so that he could use it with other guides he runs with during the week. Kate loops one end of the lanyard around her left hand and the other end around Anthony's right. They run side by side. If they're going straight, they keep it more or less taut. If Kate needs Anthony to move right, she tugs on the tether. If she needs him to move to the left, she gives it some slack. She also tells Anthony where he should move, and if there are any obstacles or changes in terrain, things like rough ground, a bridge, or a manhole cover. Move a little to your right. And we're going around a corner to your right. That's it, keep going. That's it, and around the corner. Keep that line, perfect. Okay, it's getting a bit busy up ahead, so just stay close. So what are you, what are you feeling in the tether? What is it that you're looking for in the tether? I'm just really looking for like, it's like steering, it's like steering a car, like I guess, in a sense, like you, you kind of hold it still when you're on the highway. So it's just like, holding it and then if I need to do something I just always tell the guy like if you if you need something just just tug it push it pull if you need me to go if you need me to go to you just say come if you need me to move say go or just stop or step up most of the time they'll try to move it move the tether and now I'll, I'll get a sense of it okay we're gonna move slightly to our right that's it oh, that's it oh, oh, slow down a little bit we've got a small obstruction small person <laughs> in their many months of running together They've gotten all kinds of reactions. I remember we were running some race, like we're running this race, and like Kate's trying to clear the way, and she, she she tells this woman like, "Excuse me, excuse me, blind runner coming through." A bit more forceful yeah, this yeah, time. This time. I've yeah. learned my lesson. And the I'm woman quite got so now. upset, was like, "She did." She was like, "I'm not moving, you." Like she said, "I'm not, I'm not moving, like, whatever." And Kate was like, "I said, excuse me, is a blind runner coming through?" And the woman looked back and was like, "Oh my god, I'm so sorry. I feel like an ass." And I was like, yeah, you are an a lady. You <laughs> so didn't need to do that. I, I wasn't joking, though. She, she, she laughed at it. She laughed about it. She's like, okay, I deserved it. I deserved it. And she ran with us for a little bit. Like, okay, I deserve that. I deserve that. It was but funny. you really do get 
two different reactions. Yeah. You either get everyone being absolutely lovely, mm -hmm. you get people who aren't paying enough attention. Mm -hmm. So I have to say headphones are a real problem in races. Mm -hmm. Personally, I think they should be banned mm -hmm. because people zone into their own world. So it actually becomes really hard because you, you can speak at them and they don't think you're speaking to them. Mm -hmm. So you then have to touch them. Mm -hmm. So the quickest route is to tap them on the shoulder, but then it takes them like half a second to kind of react to where they are. Mm -hmm. By the time they've done that, Anthony's caught up with you. He doesn't have the speed of reaction. So you kind of almost, sometimes you even almost end up shoving people out of the way, yeah. which is awful. Sometimes you get people absolutely lovely when they've cottoned on and they move out the way and they're mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, that's great. Yay, go, mm -hmm. you know? And then to Anthony's point, just every so often, usually only one or two in a race maximum, you get someone who's real with kind of like, why are you invading my space? How dare you touch me? And you're like, well, dude, you're listening to headphones. Mm -hmm. You're not moving out of the way. You're being unsafe. I don't know quite what you, they were expecting us to do, mm -hmm. but yeah. But, but I have to say like 99% of people, absolutely amazing. Yeah. Like in Brooklyn, you had to literally shove that guy out my way. Yeah. Like you were like, I did. coming through, coming through. And then and it was he so just bad, stopped and looked back and she just <laughs> pushed him out of the way. And well, I because was, otherwise <laughs> Anthony's going to barrel him down and yeah. that's going to be way more dangerous for both. Yeah. So like if someone just doesn't react, but one was awful, I felt so bad for him. Yeah. I pushed him out the way and was kind of like saying, look, blind man, and he didn't look in time. So then he thought he'd drop something on the side of the road because he was following where my hand was pointing. And I look back and he's still there scrambling around. And I was like, dude, that's what you get for wearing headphones. I'm sorry. I'm not going to feel overly guilty right now. So like, I'm just going to leave you on the side. Boom, just push them right out of the way. Yeah. Most people will move, but, but that's where it really helps. Like, it makes a big difference in it. It depends on the width of the race. Yeah. I was running in Queens, and the woman from Achilles Queens was out there. She's running behind me. She's like, oh, Anthony, go, whatever. So she's looking at me run the race. So she texts me afterwards, like, Anthony, your guides were just moving people out the way, like, shoving people. Like, do you think that's okay? <laughs> I was like, yo, we got to do what we got to do, man. We got to, like, finish the race. Like, of course, you wouldn't have proper race etiquette, but like you said, with the headphones and people not listening, like, yeah. Well, and you, you, and you do. don't want to hurt them. No, of course not. That's why I make sure I wear my Achilles shirt during race days, like, you know, because they just see, okay, that's yellow. He's probably a disabled athlete. Starting a race is chaotic anyway. For you, it's got to be like 20 times more chaotic. What's that experience like? I think I'm more like tense during the beginning of a race. It's bo we're boxed in, it's not open yet. Everybody's itching to like, I got to get off to the best start possible. And everybody's like trying to do their, their desired pace. But if you, if you were really that fast, you'll be in the corral A. But you're in corral J with me. So <laughs> like, let's just chill. Like, you know what I mean? But everybody, you know, everybody's they pumped on race day. They're just like, let's, like, they're doing their pace. They're just like bumping and shoving and they're just trying to get in front. So I'm, I'm kind of aggressive. Like if you come too close to me, I'm gonna give you an elbow, but like I'm tripping, I'm holding on to like Kate. So most times I just start off holding their elbow until they're like, okay, it's open, it's open, it's open. And then like I'll let go, and then that's when we can start to navigate it. And then we'll pick a side. So it was like, okay, we know. So after we pass like mile one, one and a half, you know which side the water station is gonna be on. So it was like, okay, let's play the side of the road the water station is not on because then yeah. we won't have to bump into traffic. So we'll shift to the other side. I usually have an abundance of guides, like two, three, four, five, ridiculous amount sometimes for races. If we need water, somebody will run ahead, get a cold bunch of cups for the whole group, and we'll just kind of keep stride. Like, we, yeah. we won't really stop. We come back over we just, to our side of yeah, the road because 
trying it's, to navigate back in and back out again. Is it's, too much? What is the formation of your guides? Like the Secret Service, like like I'm Obama. I always say Obama coming through. It's like I just stay side by side by one person, and then like two people. So I'll, if I'm with Kate, she's tethering like two people be in front of us. Yeah. One person in we front of Kate, box. one person in front of me, and probably like two people behind me. Like they'll box me in like a bubble. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? And nobody could get near me. Like, you and know we don't I mean? need to take up much space. Yeah, we'll that's just... the funny thing. It can actually be pretty subtle, mm -hmm. and you don't want them going too far ahead. Because mm -hmm. if they clear a path that's too far ahead, well, then all of a sudden, of course, things start to happen and people fill in. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's no good. And also, it feels stupid because you've just moved someone for blind man coming through, and they're like, "Well, where is he?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know. So you don't actually want. It's only a couple of feet in front, mm -hmm. maybe like three mm -hmm. feet, four feet in mm -hmm. front. And that's kind of ideal. And there's usually a lot of communication between the person tethering and yeah. the two guides in front. They'll often look back and be like, do you need me to clear this? And I'll be like, no, no, it's fine. This one, like, oh, well, this Anthony right. and I can just navigate. Because, yeah. you know, we can navigate a lot of the... Because you don't want to get in the way of other people. You want them to enjoy their race. We're not there to, yeah. you know, so get, get a, in the way. It's a lot of talking. They're like, should we yeah. go left? Should we go right? Left, 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 right, 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 right. And it's like, no, left, left, left. It's like, okay. Yeah, that was good. Like we, it's constant <laughs> yeah. talking. Like we're we're just so excited that we cleared that so smoothly. Like, oh my god, that was great. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Right, we didn't even have to move them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Anyone then, that has a mental challenge trying to run a marathon mm -hmm. should probably come and do it with Achilles because you don't focus on the marathon. You focus on getting through the next five meters each time. Yeah. Like you're like mini goal. Yes, score. It works. It works. And it then works. like, and then you get an open stretch and you celebrate that. Yeah, and like, then you oh, get yeah, another. And then yeah. yeah, when I'm like, usually I'll be like, oh, we've got an open, we've yeah, got an open run. Well, come yeah, on, let's, let's enjoy this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then we get back and oh, we're back into people again. Uh -huh. Sorry. But it's great. To hear about the night that changed Anthony's life forever and about his long, surprising road to becoming a runner, check out Human Race. It's on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. The episode is titled Bright Eyes. Trust me, you do not want to miss this story. Sure, it's obvious why some runners need coaches. They are the runners who run circles around everyone else, or clearly have the potential to do so. But what about the rest of us? Is it ever worth the time and effort and expense for a weekend warrior, a solid mid-packer, to consider getting a coach? Well, in a word, yes. Contributing producer Claire Tregesser explains why good guidance goes way beyond a solid training plan. How are you feeling? Okay. All right, last smile at pace. You're looking good. Shake out your arms, relax your shoulders, focus on your form. All right, you got this, Claire. It's a toasty morning along Mission Bay in San Diego, and I'm attempting a three-mile tempo toward the end of my 12-mile training run. The goal, as my coach Tina Trout reminds me, is to hit a 7.35 pace for each of those miles, which is two minutes faster than my long run pace. I'm not quite on track. All right, that was a two-mile mark, 7.38. All right, one more mile at pace. You got this? Okay. I'm struggling. It's a big deal for me to run even one mile at this pace, let alone three at the end of a long run. I started running after college and have been at it now for more than 10 years. 
In those early years, I made steady improvement. Longer distances fell easier, and I got faster. My half-marathon times dipped below two hours, but then stayed there. As hard as I tried, I couldn't break the 150 mark. So a couple years ago, I decided to get a coach. I paid him $65 for hour-long sessions where we worked on my form and talked about how to design a training plan. Almost immediately, I saw improvements. I ran 148 in my next half, then logged a sub-49-minute 10K. Then my coach moved to Switzerland, and I was on my own. My race time stalled again until Tina stepped in last year. Do you remember? Like, Yeah, well, it was, was it the, the Silver Strand. Uh-huh. Tina is a talented runner. She ran Boston in 318 last year. She's also my best friend, and she's generous, so she doesn't charge me. She and I talked recently about how we started working together after one particularly disastrous half marathon in San Diego. And so I did that one, and I just totally failed <laughs> whatever yeah. my goal was. Yeah. And then you put in these like like long interval tempo yeah. at faster than the goal pace. Yeah, which may seem which counterintuitive. Me. <laughs> yeah, and seems counterintuitive and everything. Yeah. Obviously, I'll never win a race, and it's probably unlikely I'll ever snag an age group award. But I am someone who needs to see her hard work pay off. Shaving those minutes off my race times are my rewards. And I needed a coach like Tina to help me feel like I'm progressing as a runner. Here's how I explained it to her. You know, I can go out and run and run and run and try and be faster. But if I don't really know what I'm doing wrong, right, then I'm never going to get any better. And honestly, that was one of my motivations. I think it's just kind of human nature for, or for a lot of us, you know, you just want to keep improving and realizing like, oh no, I've been putting all this time in and not really doing it right. And like, nobody wants to do that, you know? <laughs> so I think at that point, if you're, you've hit a few of those goals, but you want to see those improvements, it probably is important to work with a coach. I have another, more specific reason for wanting a coach. I grew up in Boston and always dreamed of running the Boston Marathon, but never thought I'd be able to qualify. My marathon PR is 4.06, way off the 3.35 cutoff for my age group. But since working with Tina, my half marathon times have been steadily dropping. A BQ might not be so impossible after all. So this this week we had six times 800 meters, yeah. which is 4,800 meters worth of speed work. We sat down recently to go over what she's got planned for me during the coming month. She often runs my workouts with me. So probably keep 4,800 because I think that's three miles worth mm -hmm. of speed work, which is a pretty good dose of speed work. So I think this next time we'll go four times 1,200, which is still maintaining the amount of speed. It's just now each rep is going to, or each set is going to be longer at that pace and so longer at that heart rate, longer at that amount of taxing your body, the amount of time. She gives me speed workouts that gradually get longer, adds one-minute pickups into easy runs, and peppers my long runs with short tempos, brief stretches where I run those grueling 735 miles. She also breaks up the training plan into four-week sections that start with building a base, then bring in speed work, then move into those dreaded tempo runs. It's a concept called periodization. It's really important to like grow your aerobic base for in your mileage base in the first month or you know even up to like three months just so you have this good amount of um, stamina behind you. Your body's already made the changes. Last November, I followed Tina's training plan for the USA Half Marathon in San Diego 
And then Tina offered to pace me in the race. I told her it was a tough decision because if I failed, she'd be there to see it. And I was worried that you would be like super upbeat and positive and I would be like, get away from me. Right. And I remember when I offered definitely giving you an out and saying like, there's no pressure, but I want you to think about it and you get back to me when you want to. I decided to try it, but said if I told her to leave me behind in the race, she should do it. I didn't need to worry. Thanks to Tina's tough training plan, by mile 10, we were exactly on pace to meet my goal of a sub-145. I remember at some point, I was like, you were like, how's it going? I was like, well, I don't hate you yet. Yeah. <laughs> so it must be going okay. <laughs> we reached mile 12 and were right on target. Then Tina wanted to push the pace. At the last mile, you were like, just don't look at your watch. And I was like, no, <laughs> don't, I don't, whatever you're going to do, don't do it. Yeah, but you were smoking it. it was like your last mile was definitely your fast. Yeah, by far your fastest mile. We finished 30 seconds under 145. It's still hard for me to believe that in just one year, I knocked six minutes off my half marathon time. Now the plan is to run a fall marathon in under 140. If I can do it, I'm shooting for a December marathon. And who knows, maybe a Boston qualifier. One key to my success is that Tina knows the proper paces for my speed work. I used to download plans off the internet. If they included speed work, I'd pick paces that were way too slow. Tina knows what I'm capable of, so she prescribes times that are much faster. For example, she's got me running a 4 times 1200 workout at a sub 7 minute pace. 1200 meters is 3 times around a standard track. Between repeats, she lets me rest for one loop around the track. I went for it a few days later. Okay, I'm in the middle of the 1200 times four that Tina gave me. I did the first two, definitely not at below seven minute miles, which is what she said. First one was 7.10 maybe. Second one was a little bit higher. So I'm gonna try for the next two, but I think she's crazy. <laughs> There's no way. I think she's trying to kill me. I ended up hitting a seven minute average for the last two, so maybe she's not so crazy. There's no question having a coach has helped me break out of a rut. I understand how to balance hard work and rest. I've learned what I'm capable of and how to push myself. And following a tailored training plan means my body is always getting stronger. Most of all, having a coach has kept me accountable. No way am I going to blow off workouts I know have been carefully thought out and planned just for me. Having Tina as my coach and my friend obviously works for us, which is lucky. I mean, you have to have the right relationship for it. Yeah. You know, like, I think on the coachee's part, you have to be okay with just asking for help and saying, you know, I don't know the best things to do and, oh, I failed that day. Uh -huh. So if you, if I was the type of person, I guess, who had more pride or something yeah. like I would um, maybe be more resistant to it. Yeah, that's a really good point. So as you say, you know, if if you had more pride, you may not want to want to tell me like, oh, you know, you may have been like, oh, it's fine. Yeah, OK. And then like we would never know. Oh, there's there is a little bit of problem here. And so if you are the kind of person that, you know, doesn't 
want to be completely open and honest and you know <laughs> about it then maybe working with a friend would be more difficult. I do wonder if maybe Tina doesn't push me as hard in a workout because she wants to be nice and not make me mad at her. I asked her and she says that's probably true. There's a lot of potential for um, for it to put some strain on a friendship I think. To avoid that strain she's gentle when trying to get me to hit a pace that doesn't feel so good. And even if I hate her in the moment, she's so supportive that our workouts end up feeling like bonding experiences. If anything, like maybe like it has even brought us closer because mm-hmm. it's just yet another thing we can mm-hmm. like do together, you know? Yeah. Which brings me back to our tempo run on that hot morning in San Diego. As we finish out the run, I'm a good 10 steps behind Tina. Doing good. We're 7.36, quarter mile, home stretch. We got this. Come on, Claire. I focus on my form and keep my eyes on her back, determined not to fall any farther behind. It's so painful, but I don't want to let Tina down. We end the tempo with about a 740 average, not quite what I wanted, but still a pace I couldn't have imagined holding just a year ago. Thanks to Tina's guidance and support, my hard work is paying off and my goals are in sight. For links to more stories on finding the right coach for you, go to runnersworld.com slash audio. Now it is time for The Kick with producer Brian Dalek and reporter Kit Fox. All right, we have Kit Fox back on The Kick this week. You just spent several days in Chicago for the 2016 Chicago Marathon. You went to school there, so you know all about that city. Oh, yeah. Love Chicago. Go Cats. Do you have a favorite deep dish pizza? Absolutely. No argument. Lou Malnati's, several locations in the fine city of Chicago. How much did you have this weekend? Um, I had two slices of That's their, it? Yep. Not two whole pies? No. Deep dish pizza, which is why it's amazing, is just like <laughs> Good cheese. with one slice. You'll be full after one slice. Right, right. So let's actually talk about the Chicago Marathon. Oh, yeah, that you were, too. You were covering the race. Um on the elite side, break down, you know, who went on the women's side and who went on the men's side. The winner on the men's side was Abel Karui from Kenya. And it was a very interesting race. Chicago last year got rid of pace setters. Yeah, and, um, and that was probably the reason it was a little, a lot slower again. Exactly the reason. It was much more of a tactical um, pretty crazy race. There was a ton of surges, and then they'd slow down. Like between mile of 14 and 15, they dropped a 433 mile. Wow. And then between miles 18 and 20, they slowed down so much that actually at the same point in the race, the women ran faster than the men. Yeah. So it was bouncing all over the place. Um, it was a super exciting finish. Karui was in a neck-and-neck sprint with uh, last year's Chicago winner, Dixon Chumba. All the way up Michigan Avenue, he um, just outkicked him on the turn over the bridge up Columbus. But it was a really, really exciting race on the men's side. Yeah, he won in two eleven, and uh, Chumba lost only by three seconds. Wow! So it was it was a pretty awesome finish. Um, on the women's side, also from Kenya, Florence Kiplagat repeated her Chicago Marathon win. Uh, She won in 2015 as well. It was kind of a methodical race for her. Um, The pace was pretty consistent. And uh, she, around mile 20, 
uh, put in that kind of final surge, final nail in the coffin, and ended up winning by two minutes. Yeah, two twenty-one thirty-two for Florence Kiplagat in the win there. Um, and there were some interesting stories for the American runners in this race as well, especially Diego Estrada on the men's side. He finished eighth overall. Yeah, he had, um, again, a crazy race. So at the 10K aid station, a water bottle fell, and he tripped over it and rolled his ankle pretty badly, like bad enough that he was actually on crutches after the race. Yeah, I would have quit. Yeah. Well, so he talked about that in the press conference. He said that for a moment he considered dropping out because it it hurt so bad he wasn't sure he was going to be able to finish anyway. But he actually dropped out at the marathon trials um, in February, and uh, so he's never finished a marathon before. And so for a split second, he realized, like, I need to finish this race. Because of the pace and uh, and other crazy things going on in the front, he actually worked his way back up to the lead pack around mm-hmm. 20 miles and, and hung in there for a while. I mean, and, and took eighth on what I, I imagine is a pretty bad sprain. Yeah. 213.56 for Diego Estrada. The top American woman was Serena Burla from Stafford, Virginia. She finished in 230.40. Sarah Crouch was ninth in 233.48. And another person we highlighted last week on RunnersWorld.com, Aaliyah Gray, she was 10th with a PR of 234. Yeah, so actually a very strong. Another uh, good team standing. Exactly. For the very Chicago strong for the American women. Moving away from the elite side of the Chicago Marathon, you spoke with you know some other runners in the field. One of them was a joggler who uh, did it in a pretty quick time. Yeah, so Mikkel Caprell is his name. He's from Toronto. He actually is the current world record holder for the fastest joggled marathon. And That's that- when you juggle mm-hmm. three beanbags while running. So, so what, what's that time? So the, the world record is two hours and 50 minutes and 12 seconds. Um, he was going, trying to break his own record at Chicago, didn't do it, but the race was more notable for the fact that for the first time ever for him, he ran the whole race without dropping a ball a single time. So no drops. Zero drops. That, when you're that focused, you're going to add a little bit of time, I would imagine. Yeah, every step, it became more and more nerve-wracking, especially the second half. This was really a goal of his, like a secondary <laughs> goal if he couldn't go get the record. So a really fast time for him. Um, someone else you caught up with, you and video producer Derek Kahl, before the race was comedian Rob Riggle. Yes, and you may know him. He's been in The Hangover, Step Brothers, and, of course, my favorite role he's ever played, the mm-hmm. captain in the Booze Cruise episode yeah. of The Office. I loved him on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. But So this was his second marathon overall, and he, he had some interesting running advice for you and Derek, right? He did. Let's give a listen to some of it. Hydration, overrated. Shoes. Shoe size, you know, again, overrated. If I roll out of bed on marathon day and my cowboy boots are next to bed, I'll put those on. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Of course, you want to wear the right clothing, wool, I think is an important thing. Some sort of itchy fabric. Okay, if you have to go, like if it's an emergency, in the street and be proud of it. Don't don't be like, oh, I can't believe this is happening to me. Own it, own it. Do it, do it. Put your hands in the air and let everybody see, like you just don't care. Okay, so obviously take Rob's advice at your own peril. And of course, he, he did finish. He, he finished in 533. So a good job by him to get that second marathon done. Um, he was running for Salute Inc. 
and that supports veterans and their families, so a great cause and there. And he, he is a veteran himself. He was in the Marine Corps. So Yeah, so again, congrats to Rob Riggle on another good finish. All right, so moving on inside kind of the runner's world here, this week we released our 50th anniversary cover for our November issue, and it has a celebrity on it. Actually, it has two covers, but one is a celebrity. We don't do that very often, and uh, it, it's it's a great cover. We love it. Who Who is on that cover? Again? Oh, big news. Drum roll, please. Uh. On our cover this November is comedian, actor, Man of the world, Kevin Hart. Highest grossing comedian in the world, Kevin Hart. It's a huge week for him. He's got a movie called What Now this Friday. Also just got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. But I think that the biggest thing that's happened to him in his career, really, is being on the cover of Runner's World. And we actually had a lot of fun with him. Um, Yeah, explain the cover because it's not the typical cover. It's really kind of exploring our 50th anniversary. Yeah, so because we've been around for 50 years, our cover is – it's based off of what our cover looked like in the 1970s mm-hmm. from the weird text and, and yellow and orange coloration we had to, of course, what uh, what Kevin's wearing, which I just love the uh, the tube socks and the mm-hmm. great, great throwback Nike shoes. And the short shorts. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the shorts cannot be short enough. Mm-hmm. That's That was a rule in the 70s. <laughs> also joining Kevin on our cover um, is... Alexi Pappas, who is an Olympian. She's kind of a Renaissance woman. You spoke with her on this show. Yeah, I, I, I talked with Alexi. So she um, is on her own separate set of covers. And what we did, it's a, it's a gatefold cover, kind of showing Runner's World covers throughout the ages. So we've got two covers from the 70s, two from the 80s, which are my personal favorite, mm-hmm. uh, with the windsuits and, and the, the Walkmans. Walkmans yep. And all jinx. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, we've got our modern cover. Hits newsstands later this week, and if you subscribe, which you should... Coming in hot to your mailboxes here soon. Yeah, and as I mentioned, you know, we don't do celebrities on the cover that much. So, you know, why did we do this? Well, Kevin Hart, I mean, besides just being a huge star and someone who runs a lot and did Hood to Coast as you were there covering for this issue, you know, he's bringing thousands of people to the sport. And then Alexi, you know, this elite runner, kind of a renaissance runner with everything else she does with filmmaking and, you know, doing improv. She's just doing a bunch of stuff besides just focusing on running. Yeah, we call them both kind of running's current biggest advocates, particularly Mm -hmm. with Hart, who tweets and Snapchats and Instagrams all of his runs. He's done these spontaneous 5Ks that have gotten thousands of people to go out and and really run their first 5K. So um, the the covers are really just a celebration of running's past and present booms. And so we thought, you know, who better to highlight than – Celebrity Kevin Hart and, of course, Alexi from the Olympics. For more on the story behind our six covers, you can head to runnersworld.com slash 50th cover. All right, kids, so a final thing here for the kick. Also in our November issue, we have our international survey of runners, and we'll get into the methodology on that. But I just wanted to quiz you, Kit, what percent of runners do you think post their runs to social media? Uh, well, whatever the response is, it's more because I think people are lying. I got to go with at least 75% posting a social. Actually, according to the data, 73% do not <laughs> that post not to true. social media. I mean, I think you're in the bubble of runner's world here where everyone kind of has to mention their runs. Strava on or media. it didn't happen. Exactly. I mean, why would you even run without Instagram likes? 
All this information is in our State of the American Runner survey in the November issue. Our associate editor, Ali Nolan, helped compile all of this data. What, what's some of your favorite stuff from it? Well, I got to go with um, 14% of Italian runners say that they've had a one-night stand after a run. I don't know where that question would come from. I have no idea what the wording of that question but it's, was. But it's good to know. It is. It is. Some of my favorite information from the survey comes from, like, shoes and gear and you just type that type of data. So in Sweden, runners— My countrymen. Okay. So they're on the high end of spending money on shoes. It's $183. Oh, boy. So I don't think you're spending that much. I'm not. And on the other end, actually, you know, my relatives in Poland, they spend about 82. They're finding the deals. Yeah, they find the deals in Poland. So the other thing related to that, um, 73% of people, runners, run with earbuds. 82% will listen to music. 11% will listen to podcasts. I really think that needs to be 100%. Yeah, we can get that number up to, you know, 100%. Everyone just has to tell a friend about the Runner's World Show and Human Race. And the survey, you know, based on 17,000 responses, you know, worldwide earlier this year, um, it's an update from a survey 10 years ago. So at our 60th anniversary, we want that number to be like 100%. Yeah, but you know what really my favorite stat from the survey is? Please tell me. Yeah, 100% of Runner's World podcast hosts doing the kick, they're awesome. That, oh, that, that's true. Yeah, that was my favorite stat. All right, well, lots of great information in this survey. Um, you can check out more of it online. Go to runnersworld.com slash survey. Kit, you certainly are awesome. We appreciate it. Again, glad you're back from Chicago, and thanks for doing the kick again. Thank you, Brian. That's it for this week's show. Thanks again to everyone who has left us a rating and a review. We so appreciate your feedback. I'm David Willey, Editor-in-Chief of Runner's World. This week's show was produced by Sylvia Ryerson, Mervyn Deganos, Christine Fennessy, Brian Dalek, and Claire Tregesser. Next week, we have an interview with ultra-runner and author Dean Karnazes, a guy who has no trouble running long. Really, really, really long. We will see you next week.